0: I'm Alexandra Solomon, Curious City Editor, and I'm here in Chicago's belmont cragin neighborhood. And I've just come inside Lucy Parsons Park. It's a small park with a playground with a swing set and a slide. Not a lot of kids out today, it's pretty quiet. I asked several people who've walked by whether they'd ever heard of Lucy Parsons and nobody had any idea who she was. The park district describes her this way nationally important for her role in labor reform and the efforts for women's rights. Born of a mixed Native American, African American, and possibly Hispanic heritage, she married Albert Parsons, a labor organizer who became one of the martyrs who was executed after the Haymarket riot. She was a prolific writer on issues related to socialism and labor reform, writing for publications such as The Socialist, Though involved in anarchism and often portrayed as, quote, a dangerous woman, she was defended by important Chicago leaders like Jane Addams. But as we'll learn in this Curious City episode, this description's only partially true. And Lucy Parsons wasn't entirely who she claimed to be. That's coming up.
1: Curious City is supported by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com curiouscity today to get 10% off your first month.
0: After Donald Trump was elected president in 2016, Laura Villanueva joined the Women's March here in Chicago.
2: Yeah, right after Trump, I
0: think maybe I marched with women. And then I think I saw her image like on like some kind of a banner. And I'm like, who is that? The banner said Lucy Gonzalez Parsons and identified her as an organizer and labor leader from the turn of the 20th century.
2: I was just amazed by her. You know, I mean, I, I've heard about like Jane Addams, who I think was
0: alive around the same time. And just I've never heard about her. And she seems like she lived a full life. And that led Laura to ask, who is Lucy Parsons? She wanted to know more. So we turned to reporter Ariane Nettles, who did a lot of reading about Lucy Parsons and spoke with a couple of experts, including one researcher who wrote a biography about her life.
3: Hey, Ariane. Hi, Alex.
0: So, you know... I have to admit, I don't know a whole lot about Lucy Parsons. You know, I first heard her name when we did a story at Curious City a couple of years ago about why there aren't very many statues of women. And we asked people to nominate people who they think should be featured in a statue. And someone suggested Lucy Parsons. And at the time, I'd never even heard of her. We learned she was a labor leader and an activist. There's a park named after her in Belmont Cragen. But you know, we didn't really dig into her deep biography.
3: And I gather there's a lot to know about her. I mean, you definitely have the basics down. That was Lucy Parsons. She was an anarchist and a fierce defender of workers' rights. She fought for the eight-hour workday, for example. And when they named that park after her, they said she was dedicated to improving the lives of women and minorities. But as I dug into her life, I learned that that was only partially true. And there's something else. There were questions about her racial identity, which she actively avoided for all of her life. Questions? What What kind of questions? Well, we'll get to that. But first, you have to know how she became prominent. She was originally from the South, moved to Chicago with her husband, and they found Chicago was, in some ways, a horrific place. It was dirty, it was crowded, and factory workers were expected to work these long hours in those terrible conditions. And they also saw really wealthy people living in luxury, seemingly unconcerned about the workers' poverty. So Lucy along with her husband Albert Parsons both joined the movement for workers' rights, and in 1886, Albert got caught up in the Haymarket affair. We
0: yeah, have the Haymarket affair. That was the series of strikes by factory workers. Curiosity did a story on it.
3: That's right. So if you remember, workers were striking for an eight hour workday and Albert Parsons was one of the organizers. There were several days of strikes and protests and lots of clashes between strikers and police. On May 4th, there's a big protest and a bomb goes off, killing police and other people who were there. And they blame Albert Parsons along with some other people, even though he wasn't there when the bomb went off. And so he was prosecuted and after a three-month trial, executed. Lucy had been working in the background until then, actually earning money for both of them as a seamstress, but she started advocating publicly on his behalf during the trial. And that's when she started getting attention.
0: I see. So up until this point, she'd begun to stretch her wings doing speaking. She's making money for the family. But it was once she took on the defense of her husband, Albert's case, that she really became this public facing figure.
3: Absolutely. So she's touring and trying to gather support. And even after he is executed, she still continues this, you know, going around and talking about the events that happened um, at Haymarket. And she becomes one of the most recognized voices in the labor movement. Several years later, she helped start the industrial workers of the world.
0: Right, and that's the big labor union. People might have heard the term wobblies. That's how they're known.
3: Exactly, and so, you know, Dr. Jacqueline Jones, she wrote the biography of Parsons um, named Goddess of Anarchy, The Life and Times of Lucy Parsons, American Radical. And she talks about how it's really this fiery rhetoric that appealed to so many people.
2: Right, here was this kind of, demure, fashionable lady engaging in some really raw rhetoric about the workers' struggle against capitalism. You know, she would say she would love to run the guillotine machine that cut off the heads of capitalist robber barons.
3: Guillotines cutting off heads, that's strong language. Yeah, another time she referred to a policeman as, quote, A blue coated murderer. She saw the government and the capitalist factory owners as part of the same ruling class that oppressed workers. She saw the police as basically doing their bidding rather than protecting people. She wasn't really an organizer. She didn't like to go to, let's say, different places where people worked and try to get them to sign up for a union. That wasn't her thing. What she was famous for was this rhetoric that we're talking about right now, really being able to get people riled up. Unfortunately, there are no recordings of her speaking, but we do have this recording of Chicago oral historian Studs Turkle remembering the speeches at Buckhouse Square.
1: Buckhouse Square. Is an area devoted to free speech. Bug
3: House Square was this park on the north side of Chicago.
1: Near north side. And
3: often, people on the more radical side of the political spectrum would speak there.
1: Uh, Communist folk, anarchists, wobblies, IWW, someone selling books on sex hygiene.
3: And Stutz Turkle remembers going there in the 20s and 30s when he was young.
1: But the one I remember so graphically was this little old lady, Lucy Parsons, the widow of Albert Parsons, who lived for a long, long time. And Lucy Parsons would speak about events of the moment, uh, fighting the Depression in favor of uh, Social Security, whatever it was in those days, unemployment compensation. I remember she was fervent. And I remember she wore a flowered hat. I'll never forget that. That's the part I remember the list. Flowered hat for the occasion.
3: But you know what, Alex? There is, I'm not going to lie, there's one thing that really did catch me off guard when I was researching this. So if you read the reports of her at the time, as Jacqueline Jones says, reporters don't really know what to make of
2: her. When reporters saw her, they were really um, intrigued by her because they couldn't figure out what her origins were. She looked very exotic to white people.
3: What does that mean, she looked exotic? So she looked like she was likely a person of color. She was married to Albert, who was white, but she was racially ambiguous. White people weren't sure what she was. So she started to use the name Gonzalez as her maiden name, and she claimed to be of Mexican and indigenous origin. Okay, and was that true? No, that was not true. At all. And mm. actually, it was Jacqueline Jones who really figured out her true origins, although many people already suspected that she wasn't who she kept claiming to be.
0: More on that after the break. Okay, when we left off, we just learned that Lucy Parsons wasn't exactly who she claimed to be. So help us make sense of this, Ariane.
3: So she was born as Lucia in Virginia in 1851 to an enslaved woman. And so it's likely that biologically her father was her enslaver. So she was a black woman. And in Chicago, because she was light-skinned, she decided to pass for something else.
0: I see. So she was not Mexican. She was not indigenous.
3: Right. And for her childhood and early adulthood, she lived a really hard life. Her family was forcibly moved to Texas. And after slavery ended, she got married as a teenager in Waco, Texas, to a much older man And, you know, she goes from difficult situation to difficult situation. And the marriage of Albert Parsons and that move to Chicago was a chance to leave everything in her early life behind, to reinvent herself. And after Lucy became more prominent and people wanted to know who she was, she started telling reporters that she was Mexican and indigenous. She even worked it into one of her speeches. She told everybody, when Columbus first came in sight of the Western continent, my father's ancestors were there to give them a native greeting. When the conquering hosts of Cortez moved into Mexico, my mother's ancestors were there to repel the invader. So she actually used it a little bit to her advantage. And I'm not gonna lie, as a black woman, this made me upset when I first read that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know you, I can imagine that this making you feel upset. I mean, she's denying her blackness.
3: Yeah, especially because I was so excited to research Lucy Parsons. Um it's really because I thought, wow, this is this amazing black woman who did all these amazing things. So Then it was kind of disappointing to learn that she didn't want to identify as black. And, you know, I had to really kind of check myself, though, and really say, okay, who am I to judge this woman who was born into slavery and lived all these things and all these experiences that I could never even truly imagine? And so that really kind of made me instead say, okay, let's think about why she would have needed to claim to be somebody else because that's way more interesting, So I reached out to historian Tara Hunter. She's a professor at Princeton University and really an expert on Black women of this period.
2: She clearly wanted to escape what it meant to be a Black woman, you know, at that time. The strictures that were imposed on Black women, the limitations of what they could aspire to be.
3: Normally, when we talk about stories of Black folks passing, they're usually passing for white. But because Lucy was too dark to pass in that way, she needed a story that made sense. And there weren't very many Mexicans in Chicago at the time. And most of the Native Americans in the area had been displaced by this point. So because there likely wouldn't have been many to refute her claim, Lucy used this as an explanation for her appearance.
2: She chose other. She chose to to strategically identify herself as, you know, not black, not white some form of being Spanish or Mexican or Aztec to emphasize that she was sort of indigenous to American society to, you know, sort of push back against, you know, claims that she didn't belong.
3: And if you think about it, to do her activism, Lucy Parsons needed to be accepted by white radicals, people she was working with or speaking to. Tara Hunter also points out Lucy Parsons expressed more interest in class struggle than race struggle.
2: And as she's coming into sort of seeing herself as a socialist, whatever oppression that African-Americans face, she understood it in class terms. That class was really at the base of exploitation in American society uh, much more than racism. She
3: did speak out against lynching in the South. But in Chicago, there were opportunities to fight for labor issues that would have helped black workers who were forced to take the worst jobs employers offered. But Lucy didn't do this. Okay, so
0: if this denial of her black identity was strategic, how effective of a strategy did that end up being for her?
3: I mean, as far as what people thought, that part was not very effective because people still assumed she was black. So even though she tried to deflect from the questions that reporters had for her, the reporters who were usually white men often described her as a good-looking, well-dressed mulatto, which we know is a word often used for um, mixed-race black people. And they commented on the mahogany hue of her skin and the texture of her hair. So this evasiveness and the made-up stories, they really created this mystery behind her that got people more intrigued and made them more obsessed.
0: Well, that's like, this is like, for to me, one of the most interesting things. That obsession with her racial identity, it keeps the spotlight on her.
3: It does. And I think that at one point she realized, hey, keeping the spotlight on me is really advantageous to me and to my cause. It's important to point out, not everybody would agree with what she did. But historian Tara Hunter thinks that Parsons' achievements need to be recognized, along with other intrepid Black women from their time.
2: Um, and the person that comes to mind immediately who she resembles is Ida B. Wells, the journalist and preeminent anti-lynching activist. Both were courageous. Um, some said outrageous. Um, outspoken women, They came from similar modest backgrounds, and they both created these new pathways that seem unimaginable for women of their times.
0: Ari, I'm curious what our question asker, Laura, thinks about all of this.
3: So that is interesting. Um, Laura is Mexican-American, and I thought she might be dismayed that Lucy Parsons was not Mexican and, you know, chose to claim an identity that wasn't hers, But Laura is sympathetic to Lucy Parsons' reasons for claiming both Mexican and indigenous heritage.
2: Maybe she was in Texas and she's like, oh, they're treating Mexican women better than me. I'm going to say I'm Mexican then. We're coming from Texas. This is going to be our new life. So, I mean, I can understand why she would want to. I mean, it sucks that, like, she couldn't live in a world where she could identify as a Black woman.
0: And and what about, you know, that anger that you first felt when you learned she denied her blackness and your sort of journey to kind of understand what that was about? Where, where are you at now?
3: So, Alex, I think that even her existence is a revolutionary act that is something that I, as a black woman in the year 2020, have a lot to be grateful for. So, because she defied every box, because she made the decisions she felt were necessary for her, and she didn't let anybody else make those decisions for her, even her decision not to be black, she set Atone for being a, a, a box breaker, a lawmaker, a, a rule breaker. And I think that what was especially important is that enslaved black women before that did not have the opportunity to define who they wanted to be, where they wanted to live, what they wanted to do, and just that defiance of being who you want to be and breaking out of those boxes is something that led the way for me to be able to define who I want to be, what I want to do, and to grow up in a world where I can say I literally can be anything that I want to be. And I am grateful for her. As an ancestor, I thank her.
0: Well, thanks for sharing her story
3: with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. Jesse Dukes produced this episode. Music by Jazar, Big Lazy, and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to Steve Bynum and Araceli Gomez-Aldana. I'm Alexandra Solomon.